Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Hey, Robbie, thanks for uh, being here. And I love that these guys are here, Robbie and Tia. And it was not too long ago, maybe 20 years, that my voice was high and buttery like that. Um, so I'm really, I'm really glad he's here. My son gets to play in his band called Brother Ryan. And so if you see Brother Ryan around town at Kawadi and different places, um, they're, they're really worth going and checking out. Well, I am uh, Roland Smith. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here um, at Pulpit Rock, and I am super excited to be part of this series that Jonathan kicked off last week called Christ-like. And so we're trying to figure out in this series, like, what is it to be Christ-like? We kind of use that term a lot, uh, looking like Jesus. And so we're trying to look at what Jesus actually did, not just learn about Jesus or learn about what he said, but actually get a feel for what he did in his ministry when he was on earth so that we can be more Christ-like. And I know that you have noticed um, and are probably a little bit shaken in the same way that I am, that in our culture today and in our world that we have, it seems like we're getting more and more uh, divided and kind of divisive in things. We Um, we tend to divide people and separate them into labels or things they believe or things they don't believe. And and we love to try and figure out people based on those labels. So, for example, you know, a big one today would be like, are you progressive or are you conservative, right? Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. Um, Are you Republican or are you Democrat? Are you Christian or something else? Um, a big one in Colorado that I learned when I'm, we moved here um, years ago was, are you native or are you not native, but I got here as quick as I could? You know that bumper sticker? Um, I'm, if you see one of those, I'm still looking for one of those bumper stickers. Um, and I don't want to start any fights here, but even in Pulpit Rock once in a while, we see labels pop up at certain times of the year, like you might see a Broncos jersey or a Kansas City Chiefs jersey? No? Or in the summer, I guess Adria's not here, right? Or she'd be hooping and hollering. Or in the summer, um, right now you might see the Rockies or Giants or the Cubs or something like that. So anyway, we love, to, we love to kind of divide people into labels and even divide ourselves that way. Well, this morning, what if I told you that we all share a label together and we share a label that was put on Jesus himself? We all share that label. And the label is that we are sent And around here, if you've been around here at any length of time, you've kind of heard this word maybe, sent. Um, We might say it from the stage, you know, that you live as a sent person, which is kind of a weird phrase if if you're not used to it. We have a sent blog on our website. Um, Out here in the gathering place, if you haven't looked, there's a really cool new kind of wall that's our scent wall. It talks about how we live outside the walls of the church. And so I encourage you to go take a look at the scent wall um, that is out here. But where does that come from? I mean, where, this thing that we talk about being sent, 
Why do we talk about that so much here at Pulpit Rock? And it comes from a few places in Scripture, but there's one that's kind of really prominent, and it's in John chapter 20. And this is taking place on the day of Jesus' resurrection at that night, okay? And John writes it this way, John, John 20, starting in verse 19. When it was evening on the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw that it was the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then here's where we get this. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so we are sent people. And we are sent in the same way that Jesus was sent by the Father. But what do we do with that? I mean, what does that mean? So Roland, how do I, how do I be sent? So we look at Jesus' life because we're sent in the same way that the Father sent Jesus. So we can look at his life in the scriptures. We see him healing people. We see him engaging with those that are hurting. We see him eating meals with quote-unquote sinners and tax collectors, as scripture likes to put it. We see him telling parables, and the list goes on and on. And we know that in the Bible, we don't know all the things that Jesus did. It even says it right there in scripture in a couple of places in John And it says, we don't know all the things. There were many other things that Jesus did, but we wrote a few down here so that you would believe. So we get a snapshot, an an example, a sample of what Jesus did in his life, but we know that he did a lot more than just the things in the Bible. But all of the things that Jesus did, all of his activity and actions, the sample of his life, I would suggest point back to one overarching thing that Jesus was sent to do. And that is, Jesus was sent to announce a kingdom. And not just any kingdom. It was a new kingdom. It was the kingdom of God. It was a kingdom that was different than the kingdom of the world. It was the kingdom of heaven. And we see this example of Jesus announcing this um, in a few places, but a great narrative of this is in the Gospel of Matthew. And so in Matthew, we see Jesus' birth, and then we see him baptized by John the Baptist, and we see him go into the desert and be tempted. You may know these stories from Scripture. And then he comes out of the desert, and then Matthew writes at that point, From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is is his launch of his ministry. This is what Jesus comes and unveils things and um, mobilizes what he has come to do in his ministry. And it says, from that time on. So we know that Jesus continually said this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He need meet new people. The kingdom of God is at hand. Matthew likes to use kingdom of heaven. Other gospels like to use kingdom of God. And I do want to remind you about this word repent. 
Um, a lot of times we mistakenly think this word repent is you need to like change your behavior, you know, like act a different way. And repent is actually this word metanoia. And meta um, is, you know, this from the Greek is this idea of metamorphosis where we get that word. So this, this change, right? And noia, knowledge, um, way of thinking. And so um, repent actually means change your way of thinking for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. And then right after Jesus says that or proclaims that, Matthew reports, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, people possessed by demons or having epilepsy or afflicted with paralysis, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus proclaims this good news of a new kingdom and at the same time shows them what this kingdom feels like, what it looks like. Now when it says they're good news, this is the same word as gospel. You'll see it translated interchangeably in Scripture, good news and gospel. And so Jesus was proclaiming and also demonstrating the gospel of the kingdom, of God's new kingdom. Now, bear with me just a second, and we're going to geek out on this word, okay, that's used for gospel. And I don't typically like to do this, but it's real important for our understanding, I think, of being Christ-like this morning. So this word gospel or good news is this Greek word euangelion. Say that. It's kind of fun. Euangelion. Euangelion. So now you know some Greek. You meaning good and gelion meaning message. So euangelion is good message. And this word was translated in the Old English into the word Godspell. How many remember the um, Broadway musical from the early 70s, Godspell, and it was kind of loosely tied to the book of Matthew, right, and the story of the disciples and Jesus and everything. Well, the title of that Broadway musical is just Gospel because they use the word Godspell, which is the old English that got changed into modern English Gospel. So you and Gelion to Godspell to Gospel. Now, we throw around this word gospel in our faith quite a bit, and we use it in different ways, and I think our definitions kind of get a little bit convoluted. And and in being Christ-like, I think it's really important to understand what exactly is the gospel, because we'll say things like, I want to share the gospel, or we're going to share the gospel, Um, or something is gospel-centered, or it's not. Or, I like that church because they preach the gospel. You know, we'll say a phrase like that, and I totally understand it. Now, when I came to faith in my early 20s, I was drawn a picture 
Someone wanted to share the gospel with me, and it was similar to this. Have you all seen this picture? And so the cross is a bridge of, from sinful people to God. And so when this picture was drawn for me, the gospel was synonymous with what I would term the Easter narrative or the Easter story, okay? Um, and we all know that. We were separated from God. Jesus crucified, died for our sins, rose on the third day uh, so that we can have eternal life, new life with him and a relationship with God. And so this narrative, this story that we celebrate at Easter was synonymous with the gospel. And so when someone would say, I want to share the gospel, that they were sharing the Easter narrative. Now, I don't know if that's your definition, but I run across that quite a bit. Now, is this true? Is this picture true? Yes, absolutely this picture is true. This is a huge cornerstone of our faith, our narrative of being Christ's followers and living with Jesus and having relationship with God. It is absolutely true. However, is this narrative that we celebrate at Easter, is that the definition of the gospel? So I want to show you something that I read past a hundred times and never noticed until a few years ago. And it's in the gospel of Luke, the good news of Luke. And we see something that kind of presents a baffling question if we're trying to define exactly what is this gospel of the kingdom that Jesus was announcing. And Luke writes it this way, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever you do not receive, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now what I wonder is this. If the cross hadn't happened yet, if Jesus wasn't crucified at that point, if they didn't even know the salvation narrative yet, and no one in Galilee knew it or had heard of it, then what exactly did they preach? It's the same word, euangelion. It says they preached the gospel. It says it right there in black and white. But they couldn't have been preaching salvation because no one knew about the salvation narrative yet. So the question becomes for me, is our definition of the gospel maybe too narrow, a little bit too small? Have we even unintentionally reduced it from the definition that Jesus and the disciples had? So what is the good news? What is this gospel of the kingdom that Jesus came to announce, and if I want to be Christ-like, if you want to be Christ-like, then I think we have to understand what is it that we're sent to do. 
So I want to suggest a couple of um, a couple of samples of what we're sent to announce, and these come from Jesus's lips himself in a couple of different places. I want to go back to our passage in Matthew four, where Jesus announces the kingdom, says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near," and then he starts healing people, and his fame spreads, and people start coming to him, and then you flip the page in your, in your Bible, and then you get from chapter 4 to chapter 5, and it says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to speak and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the other picture, the other um, launch of Jesus' ministry uh, that you can see is in the Gospel of Luke. In the good news of Luke, and um, Luke places Jesus in a church or synagogue. And uh, he puts it this way. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Annabelle was preaching, as Susie mentioned, and um, she called this passage the manifesto of Jesus. And I, that's, that's the only note I took that morning. I thought it was just awesome. And so now I see it this way. Here's how Luke writes it. It says, As he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and he went to the synagogue, as his custom was on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and there was given to him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the scroll, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. These are examples of Jesus' announcement of a good news kingdom, of the gospel. And he immediately sets out to do what he proclaims. He brings and shows good news to the poor. We can read it in Scripture. He's merciful to those that need mercy. He feeds the hungry. He's living water to those that thirst. He brings sight to the blind. He lifts up the poor in spirit and shows love to those who were cast out. Jesus stood up for the oppressed, the unclean, the sinner. These are the ways that reflect how the Father sent Jesus to announce this kingdom. 
Yes, he proclaimed it, but it was always in concert with doing it, displaying the kingdom, making the kingdom tangible, if you will, something that people could feel, could sense. It changed their life. It wasn't just words in their ear. It was something that happened to them. It reminds me of this quote often um, that's attributed to Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. And it says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Now, people debate whether Francis actually said this because we don't see it written down in his writings. And so it is debatable and it can be construed to say that we're kind of that talking about the kingdom is not important, which I'm, I'm not advocating at all. I do think there's a place to talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel and even talk about salvation. Um, but maybe this other quote by St. Francis really brings it home, and we do know he said this, it is no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. So think about that just like. It's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. And this is more true today than any other time that I've been alive or been part of the church or been in ministry. Because the church, us, unfortunately, has at times forgotten that manifesto in Luke 4 or the framework of the kingdom that Jesus announced in Matthew, that list of people that will inherit this kingdom. And so people don't want to hear about a gospel or good news from us because the church has not always acted like good news to them. And if we don't act like good news then we never get the chance to talk about the good news or the gospel or even salvation, which is part of that good news. This is what Jesus did so well. So when we ask the question, Christ-like, what can we do to be Christ-like? We can look at Jesus and he did it so well. And we should notice as people sent to announce a kingdom, just like he was sent by the Father, that he loved those in the margins. He made the kingdom tangible to people. He sat and ate with those that were despised by religious culture and rules. Why? So he could invite them into a new kingdom with a new king. This is what we see as Jesus's methodology. Sounds, sounds a little strategic. But this is how Jesus is sent by the Father. And so I would argue this is how we are sent as well, in the same way. And I know what you're thinking. So Roland, you want us to go out, you want us to heal people, you want us to feed the poor, you want us to release the oppressed, you want us to feed the captives. Yeah, I think we're called to do that. I think I'm called to do that. I think you're called to do that. And I know you'll say some of these things are miracles. How do we give sight to the blind? You know, how do we um, 
How do we heal people? Those were miracles. I mean, Jesus was God. We're not, certainly not called to do that. But here's what I know is that when you walk with someone through the pain of healing and, or something in their life, it is a miracle to them. When you show up and decide to sit with the homeless or, or sit with those in the margin and love them and be part of their life and part of their journey, it is a miracle to them. When we as a church show up in Thailand through Exodus Road and we release a young girl from sex trafficking, guess what? It is a miracle to her. So sometimes miracles are not supernatural. Sometimes they are. They still are. And we know that God can do that. But sometimes being sent as the Father sent Jesus means that we just sit down at a table with a meal for the sinners and tax collectors of our day. We show others what a good news kingdom looks like. And then we gain the trust to talk about a good news king that brought it a good news kingdom. Now, I'm, I get the honor and the privilege to kind of stand up here and talk to you and preach about being sent and loving your neighbor and those kinds of things. But really, the person in our house that does this the best is my wife, Kitty. Um, she's the one that over the years, um, things have happened like welcoming me home to say, um, oh, by the way, there's a homeless teenager sleeping on our couch down in the basement. Um, or walking into a house, our house, and there's like this awesome meal, I can smell it. And she's like, uh, no, this isn't for you. This is for a single mom and a family that I just met, you know. Um, or the year, one of the, um, one of the stories I always remember about Kitty is she couldn't come to Christmas Eve services at the church I was on staff at because she needed to stay at home with this woman that was detoxing off meth at our house. And so while Kitty was, you know, bending over a toilet with her, I was at church leading a Christmas Eve service. And so that's the way that we've lived out sentness in our house. And Kitty has carried that banner probably better than anyone in our family. I remember a vacation we took uh, to San Diego with our kids. There, was, uh, there were several years when they were young, and we just went to San Diego every summer. And um, one morning, Kitty and I woke up early in our Airbnb, and we had this weird desire I don't know if you've ever had this, but we had this weird desire for a McDonald's sausage and egg biscuit. Does anyone else have these? I mean, it's not really food, okay? <laughs> but, I mean, it still happens to me, especially if I go fly fishing. I'm like, okay, i got to have a sausage and egg biscuit. And, you know, I stop and get it, and then I'm sorry that I did it. But we, we had this strange desire. We're up early, kids are sleeping. It's like, okay, let's go find a sausage and egg a McDonald's, you know, sausage and egg biscuit. And so we headed out to the nearest McDonald's that we could find. And we were in line and kind of waiting and, you know, talking about what do you want, what do you want. We get up, you know, we get up to the counter 
to order. And I'm looking up and it's like, and I'm like, okay, what do you want, Kitty? Kitty's not there. I don't know where Kitty went. So I'm, I'm looking around the restaurant and then I see all the way across the dining room, there's Kitty talking to an elderly um, black gentleman in a booth and um, he's got a wheelchair sitting by the booth and, you know, from appearances, um, he, you know, life is hard or he's homeless or something. This is typical Kitty if you've been around her. And so um, I walk over to Kitty and she introduces me to her new friend, Larry. Um, and at that point, I'm a bit worried based on the path the past that Larry's going to be joining us at our Airbnb and spending the whole vacation with us, which would be fine. Uh, that'd be typical, Kitty. Um, but, um, you know, I asked him about his wheelchair that was sitting there beside the booth. And you could see it wasn't really a wheelchair. It was two sides of a wheelchair. And instead of, like, that back and that seat thing that, like, hold it all together and rivet it together, it was rope. Like there were strands of rope in the seat, strands of rope in the back. And so we sat on the rope in order for the wheelchair not to, you know, just come apart. And he just smiled, said that it helped him get around. He had lost his foot in a train accident. Uh, he worked on a railroad and lost his foot. And um, he was indeed homeless. And he just had the the best temperament about life and and it was amazing and so we bought him breakfast uh, before we left which his choices are even worse than mine he had two chocolate chip cookies and a coffee um, for breakfast um, but before we could get out of the parking lot kitty knew what euangelion was for larry what good news would be to Larry. And she turned to me and she, she said, we have to find a wheelchair. We have to. Now, this is 9 a.m. in San Diego. We don't know our way around. And I'm thinking, what do those things cost? Like $1,000 or more, a wheelchair. Where are we going to find a wheelchair? Well, she gets on Google and finds a medical rental store close by. Guess what? They open at 9 a.m. And so we hustle over to this medical rental store, which was about a 15-minute drive. It wasn't very far. Larry was inside having chocolate chip cookies and coffee. And so we went over there really quick. We walked in. We told the guy our story. I'm like, do you have any used wheelchairs? You know, emphasis on used. And um, told him the story about Larry and his wheelchair, and it's like the guy wanted to be involved in the story. So he said, hang on a sec. So he goes in the back, and he, he comes out with this really nice-looking wheelchair. And he says, I mean, it wasn't new, but he said, you know, we rotate our inventory as, in rentals, and so I can sell you this for a couple hundred bucks. So I'm like, done. So we bought the wheelchair, threw it in the back of the SUV, and headed back to McDonald's, excited. I mean, Kitty's bouncing off the sides of the car, just ready to give Larry his new wheelchair. So we get there, and we park, and we go inside, and we're super excited to show Larry this new wheelchair, and Larry is nowhere to be found. 
He's gone from the booth. He's not in the restroom. We put everything back in the car. We drove around the parking lot. We drove, it was a strip center. We drove behind the strip center in the alley. We went in the grocery store, looking up and down every aisle looking for him. We went to the library that was next door to talk to them and ask, do you know, Larry, he might hang out around here regularly. The lady there told, told us, well, there are several homeless that come to this area, and then they get back on the bus, and they just head for downtown San Diego. It's like, great. We'll never find Larry. So we put the wheelchair in the back of the SUV. We headed back to the Airbnb, spent the day with the kids. That night, Kitty said, I've got to go one more time and see if Larry's there. It's like, okay, I'll, tell, I'll take you. And we're hoping Larry's going to be there. We go to McDonald's. We sit for a little while, no Larry. We do the same drive around, no, no Larry, anywhere. We did this for like three days, morning and night, sometimes noon, and couldn't find Larry anywhere. And so we started talking, like, how, what are we going to do with this wheelchair? I remember we even found this, um, this Veterans Outreach Center that was in the same area we were staying. We thought, well, we can drop it off there and they'll, they'll find someone that can use it. So it became time for us to, to head back to Colorado. And um, it was early in the morning. I was going to start loading the car, and Kitty said, just one more time. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of a little bit rolling my eyes, like, I, I don't want to do this again. Um, but we drove to McDonald's, and I just pulled the truck up and left the engine running. Uh, I think I put it in drive and let Kitty walk in the door, walk into McDonald's. And then all of a sudden, the door comes open, and Kitty is really excited doing this. And I knew what it was. And so I got the wheelchair out of the back of the truck and went inside, and there was Larry. He was in the same booth after a few days. That day, the gospel looked like many things to Larry, I think. It looked like a new wheelchair, not held together by rope or duct tape, but it also, it looked like two people that didn't look like him, um, didn't come from the same life story, and seemed far removed from his circumstances in life. And we just wanted to sit down and have sausage biscuits and chocolate chip cookies and say, we see you, that we want to know you, that we love you, and that was you and Galeon. That was Godspell. That was gospel. That's what the kingdom felt like tangibly. And Kitty didn't just display the gospel that day. No, she wrote Larry a note and gave it to him for him to read later. And if you come to our house, you find this picture on our bookshelf. It's a bookshelf Luke built, by the way. And 
on the back of this picture is a copy of that note. And it said, Larry, Jesus loves you. You wanted coffee and two chocolate chip cookies. But he wanted you to have a new wheelchair because he sees you and he wants you to know that he loves you. Jesus really loves you and cares so much about your needs. And we love you too, Larry. The tangible gospel. That's what Jesus came and did. That's what looking Christ-like is. The kingdom, not just verbally, not what we're against, not debates on what we're for, but a tangible gospel that lifts up the oppressed and comes to those that are in need. I want to close this morning and take us back to John 20, that first passage that we started with. And, you know, it said, we read, Jesus appears to the disciples on the, day of, on the night of the day of his resurrection. He appears to them. And he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And then it says, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I've read past this passage, I bet 10,000 times or more. If you know me, you know I'm all about missional stuff. I'm kind of the missional guy. I'm like, what's the church doing outside the walls? And so John 20 is a passage that I speak on, talk on, have written about all over the country. And I got to tell you, I never read this passage the same until I prepared for this message. And something hit me just three weeks ago when I started thinking about this. All I saw was Jesus doing something supernatural, breathing on them and giving them the Holy Spirit to be sent, a commission to be missionaries. But something clicked about three weeks ago. A light bulb came on in my head, and I literally got chills when I thought about Genesis chapter 2. And I remembered that God took dirt, it says, and he breathed on the dirt, into the dirt. And, and it became alive. It became mankind. And that word breathe is this Hebrew word, ruach. And you know what ruach also means? Spirit. And I thought in the same way that God breathed into dirt to bring life to us, it says right here, Jesus breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. And I thought, of course, that makes total sense. I mean, this is our call as sent ones. We carry the Spirit of God. And we look for places where we can breathe on the dirt of life in people's lives, the things that feel like muck and mud and brokenness. 
It's where the oppressed can be lifted up, the brokenhearted healed, and the captive set free as we breathe gospel into their life tangibly. And when we breathe on others as spirit, spirit carriers of God, that's when we're being Christ-like. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and our, our desire, um, even in being in this room together or watching online, is that we want to look more and more like Jesus. We say that all the time. We want to look more like Jesus. God, make us more like Jesus. And so I just, I pray that you would just give us the bravery to make the kingdom tangible to people. To not just talk about it, not debate it, not argue theology or, or argue it against politics and policies, but to take the kingdom and make it tangible in someone's life. Give us that vision. Um, give us that heart. Give us eyes to see those times, like Larry, where we should step in. And help us to be kingdom carriers. In Jesus' name, amen.